Hey, do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film by the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement. A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive film archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look. My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck with us for five years. I'm still surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely honest with you. uh, That we've stuck with each other. Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still keeping, baby! Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one might be out of print, so if you see it, make sure you grab it. Satan's Blood, Fade to Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness, and the weirdo French Christmas horror film Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Game, and many, many more. Visit them today at VinegarSyndrome.com and let them know that the Shameless Picture Show sent you. That's right, VinegarSyndrome.com for all the cult, horror, exploitation, and vintage porn you could ever want. However much that may be. Yeah, exactly. In Amanda's, like, one of the towns that Amanda spent a lot of time in growing up, Slinger, Wisconsin, there is a Kettle Moraine Theater. It's like an old church or whatever. Okay. And they're doing a live... I'm cracking my knuckles in the microphone like a mongoloid. They're doing a live performance of Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, interesting. And uh, a friend of mine, Mac Bates, who was on our Defy Bloods episode, he's the star! Oh, He's awesome. the Morgan Freeman part. This is his first leading role. So I'm like, hell yeah, I gotta go support you. Nice. Awesome. So uh, we invited my ma, and we're all gonna we're gonna go down there and support Mac. He told me, he's like, hey, he's like, there's not really a bad seat in the house. But he's like, you know, if you can choose not to, don't sit in the balcony. And I was like, oh, why is that? He's like, it's, he's like, it's, it's a great seat. It's just, he's like, it can be a little steep. I was like, okay, keep that in mind. Ah. We looked up tickets. All that was left was the balcony. Oh, I was no. like, well, fuck it, I'm going to go see him. That's how bad I want to see him in the Morgan Freeman role. It's now going to be the Max, Mac Bates role. I don't think he's watching this, but I'm still going to keep gassing him up. Uh, just make sure you wear your, uh, I don't know, any rock climbing, a Belaine carabiner. Carabiner is a word. So you stay safe in the balcony. Exactly, exactly. So we got that planned. Uh, a friend of mine 
named um, Brian. He's going to come visit us from Madison for a little bit. Nice. Um, he's also a big record collector, so he's going to come check out my record collection because he's not actually seen it. Um, yeah, you know, it's going to be, cool. it's going to be a fine weekend. So anything else, uh, no, related I, to the movies? I, I think with that, uh, perfect segue, um, I'll, I don't have a coffee for the working man, but we'll, we'll sip and start. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a milkshake. I drink your milkshake. Milk was not a good choice when you have to talk. <laughs> me, 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 me. Uh, let, me let me get a little water. Red leather, yellow leather. The arsonist had probably <clears throat> shaped feet. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who once threatened to knock me so... Wait, this is the wrong intro. This is for the wrong movie. <laughs> Take two. That was for, um... That was a spoiler for the next episode. For the best little horror house in Texas. Oh, where is it? Give me a second. Okay. That's why I couldn't see it. You know, when we were deciding which of the two movies to do our live stream to, we decided to do the last picture show on on the point that it would allow us to not have to say whorehouse over and over again on Facebook Live. And then in the process, we have ended up saying whorehouse already a dozen times. Can I say it once more? One more time. Technically, it's going to be twice, but <laughs> the best review I saw in Letterboxd for that movie was Dolly made that whorehouse into a whore home. I saw that same review. <laughs> yep. That's, I think it's like the top list. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Warning, this movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who's going steady with me on this show for over five years, <gasps> but it seems like longer. <laughs> Nick Richards. It was hard to find a quote from the, from the yeah. last picture show. Like, there's a there's a lot of great dialogue, but not many like quippy little quotes. Yeah. So on January 6th, 2022, the film community lost one of the all-time greats. He was a dedicated cineast and contributed essays, interviews, and documentaries about titans such as Orson Welles, John Ford, and Buster Keaton. So much so that uh, Orson Welles lived with him for a couple of years. Oh, interesting. But he was also a filmmaker who made such films as What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, St. Jack, Mask, the Rocky Dennison story. Yeah. And uh, the film we'll be discussing today. So in honor of Peter Bogdanovich, Nick and I will be discussing The Last Picture Show. Dwayne and Sonny live in the small Texas town of Anarine, which is slowly but surely dying. While the town is primarily an oil town, which keeps most of its residents employed, an aging man named Sam the Lion runs the other businesses, a pool hall, a restaurant, and an old picture show. JC is dating Dwayne, but it's no secret every guy in school has their eye on her. While she loves Dwayne, it's not uncommon for her mother to fill her head with notions that their love is nothing more than a childhood fling fueled with lust. Sonny, much like Dwayne, is directionless and starts having an affair with his high school football coach's wife. 
Set during the time between World War II and the Korean War, we see how directionless and dull life can be as your hometown dies around you. Dwayne, Sonny, and JC have no clue what their futures hold and often question if they truly care. While their life begins... Uh, will their life begin once Anarine shutters its doors, or will it end? The movie is based on the book The Last Picture Show, written by Larry McMurdy, and rumor has it that Bogdanovich first came in contact with the book while waiting in line at the grocery store. But once he found out that it was, I think the description on the back of the book said, kids growing up in Texas, he put the book back stating, I'm from New York, what do I care about Texas? (laughs) However, his wife, Polly Platt, had recommended the book and urged Bagdanovich to read it, and the rest is history. Last Picture Show would go on to be a critical success and would go on to become one of the all-time greats and championed its, and its, and, sorry, critics championed its meandering pace, incredible for- performances, and setting, uh, and to tell one of the most genuine coming-of-age stories ever. As Vince Canby of the New York Times once said, the film rediscovers a time, a place, a film form, and a small but important part of the American experience. While the film was nominated for six Academy Awards, it took home only two, a Best Supporting Actor Award for Ben Johnson as Sam the Lion, and a Best Supporting Actress Award for Cloris Leachman as Ruth Popper. Written by Larry McMurdy and Peter Bogdanovich, with cinematography by Robert Surtees, and editing by an uncredited Bogdanovich and Don Camburn, the film stars Timothy Bottoms, Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepard, Ellen Bernstein, Ben Johnson, Cloris Leachman, and Sam Bottoms as Billy. From 1971, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, this is The Last Picture Show. And melt your cold, cold heart. Tony Bennett's cold, cold heart was on everybody's hit parade. Elizabeth Taylor was getting married. Boys wore duck tails. The police action in the Far East was Korea. And Anarine, Texas, like other small towns, is approaching the end of an era. I heard about the ball game last night. 121 to 14. Must be pretty near record. What do you think he'd do if he found us? Shoot us, probably. But, Mama, it's a sin, isn't it? Unless you're married, you know I wouldn't do that. <sighs> Don't be so mealy mouth. Tough it out. Tough it out. You've got to be men like the rest of them. Ain't none of you pretty enough to be women. You boys can get on out of here. I don't want to have no more to do with you. I've been around that trashy behavior all my life. I'm getting tired of putting up with it. Oh, quit prison. I don't think you did it right anyway. Just remember when a dream... Honey? What? lie. I'll stay with her all night one of these nights, too. She done promised. You won't either. Yes, I will. Why shouldn't I? I'm not sorry for you. You'd have left Billy, too, just like you left me. I bet you left him plenty of nights. Whenever J.C. whistled. So long, buddy. So long, buddy. Be careful. I'll take care of the mercury for you. I'll see you in a year or two if I don't get shot. You wouldn't believe how this country's changed. 
I reckon the reason why I always drag you out here is probably I'm just as sentimental as the next fella when it comes to old times. Old times. Anarene, Texas, 1951. Nothing much has changed. So this, I believe, was on both of our shameless, correct? Yeah, it's, it's been one that I've been wanting to see for quite some time. So why don't we kick it off with your thoughts, your initial thoughts on The Last Picture Show. Okay, so my initial thoughts are... So I knew right after watching it, and I actually probably knew like right like as like near the middle of the film that I really liked the film. Um, but like I, it's it's been a movie that's kind of like, what's that creature from Star Trek that just kind of burrows into your brain? Isn't there like a creature like it burrows into your brain? Probably. All right. Anyways, it's <laughs> it's it's a movie that's just it, I feel like it burrowed its way into my brain, and I've not been able to stop thinking of it. And I just okay. The more I think about this movie, the more I just love it. I, I, nice. It's it's been one of my favorite discoveries. I kind of feel the way about this that you felt about after watching Boogie Nights for the first time. Oh, okay. All right. Where like I like I, I'd have to kind of like contextualize it and figure out like where it would fit, but I I feel like if I had to make a big list of favorite movies this wouldn't probably be somewhere on it like, you feel just, like that one's in contention yeah it's um yeah it, it kind of hit all my sweet spots like i love a i love a coming of age story i love a movie that has kind of a meandering plot it's kind of like a hangout movie where you just spend a lot of time with these characters and i probably could have just kept watching these characters because i just grew to really like them so much so that peter bogdanovich made a sequel called texasville i heard about, about that as years I was... later and I was like, no, and I want, I want to go and watch that now because I want to see what these characters are up to. But then it also just hit me because, like, in the last couple of years, I've become big, a big fan of the filmmaker John Ford, and it just, it, and obviously Peter Bogdanovich is a big fan himself, and it just kind of felt like he's paying tribute to the things that he liked out of those old John Ford films, but is also making something that. It has this capable granted when i say contemporary i mean contemporary for 1971 not contemporary now yeah. <laughs> that felt both like classic yet contemporary at the same time and actually i think roger ebert even had a had a review that um because the movie takes place in 1951 i think roger ebert said this is the best movie to come out in 1951 <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because just how much it just felt like that time period. Though Bogdanovich scoffs at that because he's like, no movie in '51 would have been this open about sex. But you know, yeah, the yeah. sentiment is still there. Where it it felt like an older movie than it was. Absolutely. Like, you think about what was coming out in 1971? Like this doesn't feel like 1971. Um, and just like it, the, the whole concept of this this dying town and like being like naming the film the last picture show and, and it's it's uh connection to that and um yeah like it's it's almost because like where this movie came out in 1971 it just it feels like you know they're talking about the death of classic cinema and not knowing what's coming forth and this movie kind of helped kick off like that new hollywood i don't know i just i yeah. I, I fucking loved this movie it kind of reminded me a bit for reasons other than it was shot in black and white uh, of Night of the Living Dead, surprisingly, mm -hmm. with its pacing and lighting and the way that it 
approach characters, like, throw some zombies in this, and it feels very Night of the Living Dead to me. <laughs> I don't know. It's like there's many times where this movie kind of threw me for a loop, and, like, there was, there was like, a, a specific moment that just kind of made my jaw drop because I wasn't expecting it, and a couple of them, actually. And I just, I remember at the end of this movie just feeling really fucking sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, what did you think, Nick? Um, this is going to be one of those... It, it's a rare occasion for two reasons. One, because I think we walked away with very different reactions to it. Yes, and I two, can tell that already. And two, because I rarely don't like a movie. And I did not like this movie at you all. You did not like it at all? Not at all. Um, I I haven't yet put my finger on exactly why. I think I have come up with a couple of... Well, fuck, I'm going to press you on it because you got to give me something. Speculative reasons. Um, one is the way that it portrays the characters, it made me feel a lot like I was on the outside of them looking at it. So, like, I was a voyeur. Of these characters, which didn't allow me to... It didn't seem like the film was exploring why these characters were feeling the way they were. Why they were doing the things that they were doing. It felt more like we were watching it without the context. Not that it was off-putting for me. I think there are ways to do that and make it really interesting. But this felt like if it was trying to make a point, I wasn't observing it. I was very separated from the action that was happening between all of these relationships that were happening. So that was, that was one reason. Um, another reason is it kind of fell into the same category for me that I put like a streetcar named Desire and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or some of those like mid-century dramas that... Like the Southern Gothic stuff or... Because those are all like Southern films too. Yeah. Or is that just, just coincidental? I think it's coincidental. It's that in, in those type of stories... It's confirmed. Seems Nick doesn't like, like the South. I, <laughs> hey, hey, I come from Mountain Folk myself. Okay. Anyways, continue. I just had to get that joke in before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where people seem to be, like, overly dramatic in an annoying way. They're like... It's really? like, get your shit together and have a conversation. Like, you, they always walk in like, oh, oh, every, oh, everything so nobody gets me. And, I've, and it was like, okay. It's funny that you fine. read it so melodramatic because I felt like it was very understated in their performances. And that's well, what I liked so much about I, it. I think there is a clarification to make in that I think what they were doing doing what I, I I go back to my first point of like where I didn't feel invited into what was happening and I think that might be a, I, I think I'm responding negatively to the same thing that you responded positively to in the understated performance see and but, that, that that is a hundred percent what I responded to because like for me what I like so you said that, um, um, like for you, you felt like a, a disconnect, which I, I can definitely get. Like this film, this type of film, I can definitely see how someone can can feel disconnected. But like, 
I guess for me, it, I never felt like because it felt voyeuristic and that I was just a fly on the wall for their lives, it gave me a lot of room to kind of put things together and... Like, I don't think it's a film that necessarily is saying one specific thing. I feel like it's a film that is putting everything out there for us kind of for us to discover the truth of this film. And I think that's what I liked about it because I could, because it wasn't necessarily telling me who this is, who this character is, and this is how you should feel. It allowed me to inject a lot of myself onto these characters and try to figure out how they're feeling and their motivations. Okay. And and maybe I just found the characters relatively unrelatable, mm-hmm. um, so that the the space for that that you enjoyed, I didn't get enjoyment out of. Mm-hmm. That that could be, um, but yeah, no, I didn't like most of the characters. Which again, I there are films that I love where I don't like any of the characters. So that's that wasn't it. It was a combination of things that. I just didn't get much out of this. Like, okay, everybody's kind of miserable and everybody thinks that fucking somebody else is going to make them feel better, but it never really does. And I, I, I guess for me, it, it just felt like a movie about youth because that's a that's those are like dumb little heartbreaks and thoughts that you I feel like people have when they're young, and when you live in a town where there is nothing else to do but then try to you know get laid or go play pool, and you're just hoping that any little decision that you make will somehow make it better. It's, it just it reminded me of like so many people I grew up with who were like, man, once I get out of this town, things are going to be so much better, and the the, I think the irony of this film comes from the fact that one, it doesn't, and then two, well, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, they're so focused on what the future has to hold, they're not realizing that this is probably as good as it's going to get, and they're not seeing the world for what it is. I don't know, the movie just filled me with so much sadness because it's like, <laughs> I just kept thinking, like, you lovable idiots, you guys have no idea how much worse this is going to get. Like, fuck, Sonny, and, <laughs> Sonny inherits a, a pool hall. Who the fuck right, wants yeah. a pool hall? <laughs> and it's like, here he is, like a 17, 18 year old kid comes back from Mexico and is nearly shitting himself. And you're like, oh, by the way, you got a pool hall. And it's like, I don't think Sonny knows how to run a pool hall. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get somebody to do your taxes. You need a billing system. Like you I'm glad. The movie, I love the way to the, keep all the women out. I love the way the movie ended, where the woman, where the the woman who runs the the Royale, the theater, is like, "Yeah, if Sam was probably still alive. We could have made a go at it. I just don't know what I'm doing." It's like, yeah, it was kind of a dumb choice, Sam, just to leave it to the people who have been working there. Just because you can, just because you can work at a Target doesn't mean you can manage and run <laughs> <Right>. Target. <laughs> This is... I was just honestly waiting for her to be like, no one told me you had to pay bills. <laughs> but do I recall correctly them saying something about the movie hall closing because it can't compete with people having TVs? Yep. Yep. And then in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, the sign on the door when they closed was... Closed, closed due to down, TV. Down to due... TV. <laughs> so, again, yeah. more parallels between the yeah. two films. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, it was. Uh, I'm trying to. Remember, I think her name is Miss Mosley or something. I, I'm trying to remember. It was TV and something else. Um, oh, it, it was uh, kids baseball during the summer and then TV all the time. That's right. Because <laughs> like, especially because at that time in, in the 50s, that's when they first 
Like, you know, obviously, they're, like, TV first started getting into people's homes, and they didn't have enough programming to fill it with. So, like, you know, it's not like now where there's, like, endless programming and TV shows. So what they would do is, like, there was probably, like, on air, there was probably, like, a couple sitcoms, I Love Lucy, and then they would just play old movies. Right. So, like, you know, people like Peter Bogdanovich who grew up watching movies, they grew up watching them on TV. So it was, like, it's it's... So when, when people are saying, oh, everyone's got a TV in their home, they're not saying that, like, oh, they're choosing television shows over movies. They're showing movies on television. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to see Rio Bravo, it was probably going to show on a Saturday afternoon at some point. Right. And you didn't have to go out to the old picture show to see it. <laughs> you know? And uh, especially in a town like that where, like, you know, it, it's a small town. All they care about is, you know... Hell, like, I'm surprised anyone goes to the theater. They all just seem like they sit around, play pool, spit, and <laughs> watch sports. Yep. I did like some of the dialogue. Um, I did think the acting was great. I just, the material itself, I did not connect with in any way. Nick, you're you're like the young Peter Bogdanovich. He's like, what do I care about Texas? <laughs> right. Well, and and also, like... Another reason why I feel so bad that this was the film that I didn't connect to is I hate talking ill of the dead. <laughs> like this, we we did this episode to like honor him, and I'm like, oh, you couldn't no, have lied, just, damn, just not for me. <laughs> and like oh. you're you're sitting here being like, you know, like oh, I just really hated this movie, and I'm like, man, he made this at 31. Fuck, he's a genius. <laughs> I did, like. It was well put together, certainly. Like the, it really. Nick saying it's well put together is like the movie version of being like he's the, got a nice personality. The movie has an amazing. Actually, this movie, it, while that it's totally that parallel, my real feelings are swapped. It's really pretty, but it has a terrible personality. <laughs> I found yeah, just most of the characters I did not like. Um, did you like anyone? I didn't like Sybil Shepherd's character. I didn't like. I didn't. I love love Cloris Leachman, and I could not stand her character. I like my love for Cloris Leachman didn't even elevate. What didn't her you enough. grab? What didn't you respond to with her character? I feel like this episode is going to be me just questioning you. Yeah, which is which is fine. Um, if we're gonna see her like struggling and for lack of a better word whining the whole movie like i want to know why and they slightly hint at it but i want an exploration of what like why is she in the film why is that character in the film what purpose does she serve for the narrative give me something other than just watching her kind of be mopey and have a have an affair i didn't i didn't receive that it, it felt like i got the setup for something and then it left me hanging and that's kind of what all the little relationship vignettes left me feeling like what are you saying and and i think that's part of what you liked about it is that because mm-hmm. they didn't draw any conclusions it gave you something to continue thinking about and, and yeah. again, I've, I've seen that done in a way that really intrigues me, where it is like, I'd say the the Candyman rem- uh, prequel or, or sequel, sequel, sequel um, 
did that for me where it didn't really wrap up in a way that really intrigued me and I kept thinking about it. And it sounds like that was the reaction you had from this, but I just didn't. It's rare that no, no, it's not a bad wow. It's just rare that me and you are just so polar opposite. I'm it, trying to think it, of the last film that I that we felt it, so I'm sure, differently about. Yeah, I know there. I think there was something not last season, but the season before it, where I yeah. kind of just hated it, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is the the Ghostbusters. Oh, then controversy. that was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that it was a controversy. And I hate Ghostbusters for all the reasons you love it, goddammit. <laughs> I, I love what an asshole Peter Venkman is. I love how he treats women. <laughs> I do not. I no, do not. No. Go back and listen to the Ghostbusters episode. <laughs> if anything, the episode was like, it had Nick re- really questioning things. It did. No, like, I, it I, made and me feel terrible because you love, no, because you love Ghostbusters. I, I, it was very enlightening for me, and I got so much out of our conversation on it. Um, it, it was, um, it was very valuable to me that those two episodes for, for me, I guess, I guess. And once again, it's, you know, it's, it's just going back to the things that you didn't respond to are the things that I definitely did. I guess for me, it felt refreshing that, you know, that, you know, films in themselves are so filled with, with melodrama that it was like. I guess I responded to this film the re- same reason that a lot of times I'll respond to to foreign cinema, whereas, like, you know, there's the way that you that most people tell a story. I'm not going to say there's the way that you tell a story in a way that you don't because you know there's multiple ways, but there's the way that most people tell a story, which is like you said, where you know, okay, Cloris Leachman, you know, she needs a reason for feeling this way, and we need to state it and. I'm not saying this about you. I'm just saying about audiences in general. It's like you know, a lot of times, uh, writers and producers treat the film, treat audiences like idiots, and being like, "We gotta hold their hand and tell them everything." <laughs> and I guess the reason I liked this is because it almost felt like it cut out all the unnecessary melodrama and just let the characters feel and react to things without necessarily forcing us to feel a specific way, you know. And I, I think that's the reason I liked it. I just felt like this film wasn't holding my hand. And also, you know, in a different situation, I might have hated this movie too. Because, uh, you know, this very much feels like a type of movie that if you're not in a certain headspace or something when watching it, you couldn't easily not respond to it. I remember yeah. that happening to me in film school where the first time I watched uh, the uh, Jean-Luc Godard film Breathless – you know, it's like, man, this movie's a piece of shit. I hate this fucking movie. <laughs> Fuck this movie. And then, like, whatever reason, I um, uh, I decided to hate watch it like a year later. And then I was like, holy shit, this movie's a masterpiece. I love this. Damn it, I'm back in. <laughs> and like, and then like, it was like every year I watched, uh, I, and then it became a thing. I started rewatching it like throughout film school. I watched it, like once a year, and it just my my opinion just kept growing on it. And, and I know it's definitely happened to me where if I've been in a wrong headspace or just not the right headspace for yeah. a specific movie, I'll be like, man, eh, I don't like this. And then as many times I watched it, be like, is this the same movie? What the fuck? <laughs> Um, some, something else that I'm, as I'm sitting and kind of reliving my feelings on it, I think it committed one of the few cardinal sins of filmmaking and, and you, this is something I've kind of co-opted from you in that I found it really boring and you'd like, admittedly you, you said in the intro that it was 
prized that it was people were interested in its meandering uh, pace, which again mm-hmm. I would say like I've seen meandering narratives that I really enjoyed, but it had to have something else to get excited about. And since mm-hmm. it didn't have that for me, the meandering pace just made it like dull on top of dull. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, no. It, well, I, Nick, I, I like dull movies. <laughs> I don't want to say that it, it, like, I don't think it's a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a, that, like, there's a lot of quality in it. I think it really comes down to a, a it didn't resonate with me. It didn't and it's funny, give like, me anything that excited me. And it's also funny, too, that you mentioned, like, um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire and uh, Cat on yeah. a Hot Tin Roof and probably another film very similar to that would be um, the On the Waterfront. Yeah, yeah okay. and it's like, and like, I love movies like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, th- like the, that's usually my shit. Like, that's, I, um, because like, the thing I love so much about movies and so, so much about, you know, me being a pretentious jerk, being the cinema is, you know, like, there's, there's a little something there's a little like kernels and little something somethings for everyone. Yeah. And while, you know, everyone has diverse tastes, you know, you can go from watching, you know, you know, the Mitchells versus the machines and loving it. And then say, like, I can go to watch this and I love it. And they're, and I love them for completely different yeah. reasons. Yeah. Very different and that's, movies. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's one thing that I've always kind of, I've always kind of loved about this. And it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, I heard a quote one time that you know, the you know if you watch a movie you hate, someone out there is their favorite movie, and that's always yeah. stuck with me. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I always find it interesting because like you know because everything you're saying that you didn't like about this movie, I know I've said about other movies, and it's hard to sometimes contextualize why it works in some cases and why yes. it doesn't. Yep. And then also like why how I've seen some movies where. You know, it could do everything the exact same way that this movie does, and I'll fucking hate it, but <laughs> it, it just, like, the stars aligned, and just everything kind of just come, comes together, and maybe it's just a baby Jeff Bridges back when he actually gave a fuck. Um, I'm making fun of Jeff Bridges because I kind of I kind of hate the performances he does now because he does the same performance in every movie, but, like, he was, like, I, I just felt like I... I, I, to me, when I was watching the movie, I felt everything that these, not even these characters necessarily were feeling. I feel like I felt everything that these actors were feeling. Everything, like, because I feel like because they didn't have a whole lot to go off of, they kind of had their, to, to discover their own, you know, feelings. It's like, you know, if someone has to, you're, you're directing a movie and someone has to be sad, it's hard to be, you know, oh, my wife was abducted by an alien. I don't know how that feels. What am I supposed to do? Well, I had a dog get hit by a car when I was a kid, and that fucked me up. So let me channel that. I just right. felt like I could feel everything that these characters were feeling, uh, these actors were feeling. And I just kind of felt like, for me, that was coming off the screen. Like, I was nearly, like, in tears when Billy died, when he got hit by that car. And yeah. just watching the way that Sonny reacted to it, and the way that no one else seemed to give a fuck. I was like, why was why did he have a broom? And then his outburst. If he was sweeping, that, that's what that's what got me when he said he was sweeping. For some reason, that hit me. I'm like, oh fuck. And and I like I would see those emotional out, out, outbursts, like like 
that scene or or Cloris Leachman when she like started crying when she when they were having sex or all you know they had all of these moments and I felt like I was watching somebody go through something but I didn't know why like yes okay Billy died but I didn't really see like I didn't see any of the connections between the characters so that I felt like I was just a random person on the street watching somebody being upset and not and being like, oh, okay, well, that guy looks upset. Maybe I'll go this way so I don't interfere. It, it's almost like an interesting <laughs> uh, uh, case study in in emotion because, like, and then to the, and to the extent of, uh, and to an extension of the person watching it. You know, I'm not saying, like, you're, you're emotionalist or anything because we've definitely had a lot of conversations about Emo- way that movies make us feel but then yeah. like you say you know you see someone crying on the street and you're like well, why is that person crying for me it's like someone puts a certain emotion out into the ether and i fucking can feel it and then i'm like oh man this person's on the streets crying now i'm bummed out because i'm trying to figure out why he's bummed out and you know it's almost like that's what this movie it's almost like a social experiment in its own way where like <laughs> you know we're not going to give you all the traditional cues and you just kind of have to ride the kinetic energy of the people in it and see if that jumps off the screen for you. Like, I think there's, you know, I'm getting like really fucking pretentious with this stuff, but like, I'm, it's almost like, you know, they say that, you know, like the, the, the flicker of, of, of film can like affect you in a certain way. And granted we're watching this digitally. So there's no like real flicker, but it's almost (laughs) like, I don't know. It's, It's, it's almost like that, that, uh, that old, um, study that of like you know hitchcock talked about it but it wasn't his discovery of um you know like you see you show an emotionless person and then you intercut it with you know a funeral well that person's sad or you intercut right. that same emotionless person with food oh he's hungry and it's it's almost it's like almost like this movie's like kind of relies on you to bring in your own personal baggage to it <laughs> it's really interesting and i hadn't thought about any of this until you told me how much you didn't like it now i'm kind of like trying to put together why i like <laughs> i i actually i would sign off on that theory like that description which may maybe is why i didn't connect with it because it wasn't my particular like i certainly have plenty of baggage but that wasn't my brand of baggage. So it, it, it was like my suitcases were in a different place, <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. No, it does. It does. And, you know, and like I'm, I'm also an easy mark, too, when it comes to, like, coming-of-age movies. Is they, they all affect me in some way or another. I don't know. I can't explain why. Maybe yeah. there's something deep going on inside of me. But <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think of if I really connect and with and love any coming of age movies and nothing's really jumping though i i actually would be interested to directly compare this movie to urban cowboy because that was a film that i loved that i think had a bit of a similar it's been a while since i've seen it it. that's been a while since i've seen that yeah and i I think also what it comes i feel like i came in kind of a with a pre like uh ready to like it because i also do like the aesthetic of movies that 
take place in the South, and especially like <laughs> Texas movies, and you know the sweltering heat, and almost like the um, you know the Southern gothicness of it, and you know like how you can take a you know a sun drenched town and it can look dreary because of the black and white cinematography. Right. And, I, I uh, will throw two positives out for it. That, well, that real quick, before was... you throw two positives oh. out, can I can yeah. I interject you with one one that it might amuse you? Uh, yeah. For one giant negative. Yeah. So yeah. one of my favorite directors is a director by the name of Sam Peckinpah. Okay. And uh, like he directed um, uh, the Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs, a bunch of movies. Okay. And um, when this movie came out, um, he was talking about this movie. And I screenshotted his review because I find it really funny. And now that knowing that you don't like it, it's especially funny. So Sam Peckinpah <laughs> awesome. says about The Last Picture Show, I think the role of the critic is very important to films. And that's why I get so goddamn angry when critics don't pick up on good films and go along with bullshit as they did on Bogdanovich's film, The Last Picture Show, <laughs> which was a crashing bore and ignore something like Tulane, Bla- Tulane Blacktop, which I thought was a potential work of art. The Last Picture Show was artsy, craftsy, jacksy and a real pain in the ass. I was supposed to have dinner one night with Ben Johnson, who was superb in it, but I knew Peter would be there, and I'd have to hit him in the fucking mouth, so I didn't go. I really hated that movie. <laughs> That's amazing. Jack Sioski. Right. I, I, anybody who's listened to a handful of our episodes knows that we both tend to... We, neither of us like to be hard on movies. We will no, be no. critical, but we tend to lean towards the let's find what we liked about it side. Yeah, there's enough negativity so, in this world. So it does make me uncomfortable, and I'm probably hedging my opinion a bit so that I can push myself closer to that happy place. <laughs> but I do relate to that review quite a bit. <laughs> I think originally I was like, okay, you know, if I could find a place for this review, I'd like to read it to Nick because I just thought it was funny, even though I don't agree yeah. with it. Uh, but I was like, well, after, as we're talking, I'm like, oh man, this is very relevant. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now I'm going to force you to try to find something good about the movie. So some positives. You're not for- Let's like, honor this- Peter Bogdanovich, not, sh- yes. not piss on his grave. <laughs> These are things that I that I was thinking as I was watching it. So one, um, I I actually share your opinion on the setting. I loved the setting of this like rundown, barely beating small town that has three businesses all owned by the same one person. So if they go, then the whole town's gonna. I loved that. Don't forget um, to add onions to that cheeseburger. <laughs> right. Uh, the other thing that I really loved about it is how well. I mean, I, I wasn't alive in this era, so I'm everything that I'm basing this opinion on are films from the fifties. Um, but I thought it. Wait, did you weren't really... born in the fifties? I was born in nineteen sixty-one. No, <laughs> I was not. Um, I'm an I'm an early eighties kid. Um, I thought they did a really great job of capturing the era that it was set in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was the film came out twenty years after the setting, um, mm-hmm. and I loved the soundtrack, the and how it was all like you could hear the like phonograph crackle 
of all yeah, of the music that they used. It was the diegetic sound. Yeah, the audio, the sound from within the scene. There is no score in this movie, right? Um, Actually, was, No Country for Old Men does the same thing. Okay, so the that was something that I was enjoying throughout the film. Okay. Um, so besides just you know, that, not <laughs> I was going to ask besides superficial things, because like, normally I'm the one who talks about aesthetics. Right? That's, not, that's yeah. normally my thing. Uh, it, it, was there like any shred of a storyline that you dug, or a character at all, or I? I don't dislike. Did the you story. like Sam the Lion? <laughs> he was fine. I I honestly could have dealt uh, handled more of him. I think. The story would have connected more with me if I had seen more of him. He was featured... Like, we were also following from the description these two best friends. And Mm -hmm. we rarely saw them interact with each other. They were just both in their own little, like, I want to get laid storylines. And every once in a while they'd come together and be like, you can't sleep with my girl. I'm like, okay... Did you two just meet? Or, like, I know you played football together and you both sucked, but like, that's about all I know. <laughs> Do you two even and like I... each other? And it's fine if you don't, but, like, it keeps being in all the write-ups. It's like, best friends, lifelong but And they do say, like, I thought you were my best friend or whatever, and, or we're supposed to be best friends. It's like, are you, though? <laughs> It's just so funny that we have such different opinions. And then, like, yeah. like, you know, like, one of the moments that really got me was so after Sam the Lion died and then JC's mom kind of had that emotional moment of running away, my brain was like, oh, shit, that's the girl that he was telling that story about. Right. And right. then they eventually did confirm that, but I was like, I was also like, man, I don't know if I needed that confirmed because I kind of put that together <laughs> in my own. <laughs> and Nick's over like, con- over like, confirm more. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> It's not even, like, I, because I, I do also appreciate when films don't do the work for you. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. somebody that needs to be spoon-fed narratives. I think it needs to be intriguing. And a lot of times when they don't fill in those gaps, that makes it intriguing. But they need to make you care about finding the answer. And the setup didn't make me care about these characters at all. Damn. <laughs> uh, I don't even thing. know where to I I don't even know where to take this episode <laughs> right. anymore. Uh, Damn. One more thing that I'll say that's not good or bad, but just it made me chuckle. Young Jeff Bridges reminds me so much of the older brother from the Wonder Years. Where'd everyone go? Man, what a bust. It's pretty quiet in there. Yeah. Come on. I can see that. <laughs> I but can see go that. Go back, like, watch the trailer again and see him. Looks and moves, like, has the same, like, energy as the older brother from The Wonder Years. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And, like, for me, like, Jeff, like, originally, like, when I when I put this on, I thought I was going to really gravitate towards Jeff Bridges because I really like young Jeff Bridges. Um, and I say, like, I, I like Jeff Bridges as, as, as a whole, but I just definitely feel like there's a point in his career where, like, 
he's a you know young hopeful actor who's like really trying. And I don't want to say he's not trying because that sounds mean, but like I yeah, don't know, what is what is what his uh, methods is like. But I, I just feel like you know I watch Jeff Bridges now and. He just does the same Rooster Cogburn voice in right, every yeah. like the the rough, you know, like he's doing a really almost like insane like Foghorn Leghorn like crazy. Like, I say, uh, I say, I say, so. uh, a southern accent, and then it's just like when I watch movies like this or like Rancho Deluxe with with him, um, you know, or the um, what's that piano movie he's in the. Uh, something baker boys um okay i don't Wasn't know he in um, the blade movies too didn't he play an old grumpy guy in yeah he might have i never saw else? them okay. um but like you know it's like he it just it almost seems like a completely different person but like for me it's like i found myself really gravitating towards uh the the actor who plays sunny timothy bottoms like yeah. i don't know for some reason he just kept jumping off the screen to me and I like you know. I I agree. It's it's. Oh, sorry, he continue. felt a bit more like a lead character, even though I don't think that was the intention. But I think mm-hmm. just the way that that he jumped off, as you to use your words, jumped off the screen, made it feel like it was more his story. Hmm. Yeah. So like, um, well, it's like yeah. it's hard to say that he was like. A standout because like all of these actors are really good but still like he anytime that he was in a scene like i my eyes just went straight to him you know yeah. and also like I, fuck we got to see a baby uncle eddie in this movie <laughs> oh that was another th- like <laughs> there was a point that i'm like is this just like an uncle eddie origin story when like the area towards the end of act one that um was featuring him a little bit heavier. I'm like, is this where he meets, uh, uh, God, I can't think of the, Ellen? his wife's Ellen? character. No, no, I don't. Ellen, no, Ellen was Clark's wife. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it, it felt a little bit like he was playing such a high school version of Uncle Eddie. <laughs> Especially because his voice is exactly the same. Right? So when they're, they're talking about like having to do the strip in like on the diving board, like I did I'm last just... Valentine's day. <laughs> <laughs> and like he just kind of like jumps into frame. <laughs> yeah. At one point, I turned to Amanda and said, "Is like I don't know why they call this hamburger helper because it's pretty good on its own." <laughs> <laughs> okay, but for real though, it hamburger helper totally tastes great without the hamburger. In it. <laughs> I've never I had it without the, without the hamburger. See, whenever I heard that line. You know, I think he's talking. I think he's saying the hamburger. Like, so if this is the helper for hamburger, because he's hamburgers taste pretty good on their own. They don't need any help. That's the way I took it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> we are breaking down the lines of <laughs> National Lampoon's Vacation. Let's let's really. <laughs> oh, I got. What I got does the worm farm represent. <laughs> I got to. I got to. You know, talk very pretentiously about you know em- emoting off the screen, and I got yeah. to just casually bring up diegetic sound. So it's been a good episode for me. It's all right. Um, all right. I, I think I, that was most of what I wanted to say. Uh, and you know, as as much as I love to like movies, I actually really enjoyed every once in a while us hitting landing in two totally different places that's fun 
I feel like the last, the closest this has happened in the past, other than Ghostbusters, the only other time that like, while I still did enjoy the movie for the most part, that I had a very different reading than you did was when we did um, High Fidelity. Oh, okay. What was your? T- I'm trying to recall what your take was on that. That I absolutely hated that lead character, and he had no redeemable qualities. <laughs> oh no, I totally agree with you on that. <laughs> But because of it, it affected my watching of it. Yeah, yeah. Where it didn't as much for you. And right. I actually found myself enjoying the High Fidelity TV show more. Because right. the version of him in that show, played by um, uh, something Kravitz. I can't think of her name right now. Yeah, but was, you know, Kravitz' daughter. Yeah, right? was yeah. was better. So, like, it, it hasn't happened often. You know, there's definitely been times where, like, one of us has felt lukewarm about a movie. Yeah. But, like, it's not often where... <laughs> Someone hates a movie. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. But you far from liked it. I I did the I the truest thing that I can say is that I did not connect with the material at all. All right, let me ask and you that this. It was boring. Okay, and that's fair. And that's fair because yeah. you know what one person finds entertaining is not going to and it, it's I even find like I don't even know if I necess, if I necessarily found this movie entertaining in that you know yeah. regard um and, and, the big question and I'm is including things like interesting or you know it, mm-hmm. it didn't give me anything that i could get excited about here's uh, the question i want to make sure that i highlight that i don't think it's a bad movie I don't think it made mistakes. I don't think, you know, I'm not pointing at anything. And it didn't do anything wrong. It just what it did didn't it, connect with it you. It was not for me at all. Yeah. So here's my two questions then. I changed two okay. questions. One, would you watch Texasville? The sequel? Yes. I would not seek it out, but if you were like, yeah, let's do an episode on it, I wouldn't be like, hell no. Because part of me was like, well, we need a Patreon episode. (laughs) But I'm totally down to do a Patreon episode on on that, yeah. So, yeah, so that was so But that does kind of answer my question, you know, like, on your own, you wouldn't seek it out, but if someone, you know, if it came your way, you wouldn't wouldn't necessarily say no, but you wouldn't wouldn't chase it out. And uh, I'd say the same thing about rewatching... That's gonna be my se- that was going to be my second okay. question. Um, I I would never go, you know what I really want to watch? The Last Picture Show again. And if anybody else was like, hey, let's let's put that on, I'd be like, hell yeah. I'd, I would be interested in the opportunity to give it another chance. Um, I can think of much more boring things to do for two hours, so... <laughs> Hey, that's that's that should be on the poster. I can think of more boring things to do for two hours. <laughs> if I can do anything, it's market. I'm terrible at marketing. <laughs> uh, that'd be a great review. Yeah, I still think my favorite review of all time is is Lemmy from Motorhead on a trauma movie. Just it, it had a quote from Lemmy, and it just said, "I saw it." <laughs> you know, I think. I will update because I just uh, rated this movie on Letterboxd, but I think I'll add that as a one-sentence review of I can think of more boring things I could do for two hours. Honestly, it just it just reminds me of the time that the whole reason Amanda joined Letterboxd was just so she could trash This Is 40. Because <laughs> she doesn't hate movies very often either. Like, you know, at most, like her, her usually her, her like worst review, review will be like, it was, it was whatever, it was okay, it, yeah, it was a it was movie. Fine. But like, <laughs> she, she had such a strong guttural reaction against that movie. She's like, 
I'm going to join Letterboxd just so I can give it a poor review. Yep. And then at first, like, I, we watched that, and then we watched, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So there was a period of time where her reviews were a half-star review and a five-star review, and it just sat there for a little bit. Nice. And I was like, this is great. I like this. I, in, in my early days of my Letterboxd account, I did watch a movie and got so excited to review it uh, because I had such a strong... Not, not strong. Such a specific reaction to it. Um, and I can pull it up pretty quickly. For those um, of you at home that are curious, on Letterboxd, I gave this movie five stars. So I gave it two. <laughs> hey, that's better than I thought she would have done it. I it, like for a one star or a half star, it would have to. Uh, I, again, I like I recognize I and appreciate how the film was constructed. So that alone, yeah. Is, for for me, for me on Letterboxd, a two star review is a movie that I did not like, but there's something about it that I can't deny. Like something either caught my attention, or you know, like if there's like a like a like a I didn't I didn't hate The Godfather, but for example, say if I would have watched The Godfather and hated it, I don't think in good conscience I could have given that movie less than that, just because it's like it does so much well, you right, know. Yeah. There's and and rating something is so subjective, right? Yeah. Like what what you determine to be your personal value of a one star versus a five star. What factors go into that? What you need to get out of a movie to feel good about it? Um, but yeah, out, yeah out, like out of three thousand movie of, movies, have only given eighty nine of them two two stars. Nice. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that were, that was my feelings on the last picture show. Well, I don't think I've got much more to say because I think I can only defend it so much, but, uh, you know, if any of you are listening to this and want to, you know, reach out and tell us what you thought about last picture. If you hated last picture show too, let me know so I can block you. (laughs) (laughs) But, but no, I will for real, for real. Social media to to friend you, <laughs> for real. Like we want to hear people's thoughts because, like, I I like when there's differing opinions on yeah. things because, like I said, it makes my block list bigger. <laughs> but <laughs> no, for real. Like it, this is this is a a strange movie, and it's also one of those movies that like it just happens to me all the time. I'll see a movie that I absolutely love, and you know. Someone will ask me, "Is like, so do you recommend this movie?" And I'm like, "Probably not." It's like sometimes you'll see a movie and you'll love it and be like, "Man, no one's gonna like this." <laughs> you ever see a movie like that where you're just like, "Man, I love this. Everyone's gonna hate this." I I don't have one that I for myself that I can think of off the top of my head, but what immediately comes to mind is your feelings on Super Mario Brothers. Yes, the movie. You're like, I love it, and I will not recommend it to anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, no, I think you do recommend it to everyone. I do, I do. So Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel, they had their whole thumbs up and thumbs down thing. Because yeah. Roger Ebert said he, he whittled, they whittled it down to that because he said ultimately when it comes down to film criticism, people want to know one thing. They don't care your thoughts. They just want to no. know, do should I, I, should I should see I this? Yeah. And this would be a hard film because it's like, it's a film that I would rate really high, but be like, man, do I recommend this to people? Because <laughs> I don't think most people are going to, are going to, Gravitate towards it. Right. Well, it comes down to the type of person. It, 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 again, we, we acknowledge over and over again, and particularly it's highlighted in this episode, that 
different people want different things out of films. And then, so for as a critic, for you to say, yes, I recommend it, unless you're saying it's very universally appealing, like, it's more like, I recommend it to people who are looking for this in a film. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for this in a film, then this one isn't your... This Bag. one isn't for you. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's all I've got, Nick. Yeah, no, it was, that was an interesting one. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a strange episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, good, like, I, I did, like I, even bad movies, which, again, this one is not... Usually I find a bunch of, like, things that interest me enough to talk about, and possibly even how bad it was. Like, I'd, I'd really like to talk about how shitty the camera worked, or the editing, or the performance, or whatever. And this one was fine. It was fine. There's nothing worse than a bad movie that, or bad movie, <laughs> yeah. that you got nothing to talk about. Right. It was, <laughs> but it... I, and here I am all like, got stars in my eyes and romanticizing it, and you're like, this movie sucked. Well, I would like to say that I really, really respect your opinions on all of these films, including this one, and I don't disagree with you, I just don't share it. I think that's a perfect way to leave off. So thanks everyone who may, may or may not have tuned in uh, for this episode. We're not too sure when this one's coming up. I know we still have Boogie Nights to post. Um, but, um, you know, share your feedback. Check us out, www.shamelesspictureshow.com. The website's going through a couple little renovations, but there, uh, there should be a link tree there by now. Um, I will be on the podcast Cinepunks yes. with uh, Liam O'Donnell, who is on our episode... Um, uh, I think it was two seasons ago, talking about... Uh, no, I'm sorry, what? At least two seasons ago. Yeah, because like, um, we didn't really have a topic. I just brought him on because I wanted to interview him <laughs> about, about his t-shirt company, Rough Cut Collective, because right. um, he made that awesome Sweet Sweetbacks dead, uh, badass song t-shirt um, and just made the, a Vigilante shirt that I really like. Remember yes. that movie I talked about Vigilante? Yeah, yeah. Um, I so, did really enjoy listening to the two of you talk. That was a fun episode for me to go back and I'm listen glad. to. Uh, but I'm going to be on his show, and I cannot re- recall the name of his co-host at this time, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and we're going to be doing a, a Stallone double feature. I will yes. be seen for the first time, First Blood. Okay. And then we're going to top it off with Cobra. Nice. So very different movies than this. So, but if you're listening to this audio-wise, it has already happened. Go download it. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything else to promote. You probably see me on Mark the Movie Man show a couple more times. I've been on that show a lot lately. Nice. Um, and I'm working to get on um, not Hard Out, but his other podcast, Jason uh, Thornton. Yeah, that we just had on. Um, uh, so yeah. we're trying to make those dates work to definitely to, to get on that. But um, as always, guys, you know where to find us. Every all your podcast apps of choice. We're on Patreon. Come throw us a dollar or two, and you can get some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and Nick, if you're not down with that, I got two words for you. What's that? Watch watch movies. movies. <laughs> the Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. 
The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.